Welcome to Whatcom New Life Assembly's Sermon of the Week, where, as always, it's all good news. For more info on how to get involved in our church or to partner with our ministry, please visit us at whatcomnewlifeassembly.org. I have the beautiful privilege of in, um, introducing our guest speaker today, and I have the privilege of also being related to her. And uh, I would like to invite my, my aunt, Sonia Brown, to come, and she's gonna share with us. She is a woman of the word and wisdom. She is a pastor of Believer's Church in Porterville, California. She and her husband started there in 1984, and she has continued since he went to be with Jesus in 2007, am I getting my dates right, as the lead pastor there, and she is a woman of faith, and you're going to hear an incredible story. Thank you for coming. I'm assuming you're using this. Whatever you want here. Good morning. The saints of Porterville Believers Church send their love to you guys. I was standing at the back. It was so nice to meet you, missionaries. Wonderful. Giving your life like that, that's wonderful. You touched my heart as you shared. But I was standing at the back and watching you guys get seated, and I thought, good heavens. Pastor Andy needs to go to two services. Then I heard your announcement, and I thought, he figured it out all by himself. (laughs) Aunt Sonia didn't have to tell him. This is wonderful. I could not be prouder of you. I love you, Andy. I love you, Steph. Well, I am honored to be here, and I will um, just jump right in, if that's okay. Heavenly Father, I ask that you help me. Just bring it how you dropped it in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Luke 13, starting in verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, was bent over, could in no way raise herself up. But when when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Uh, Two things I want to bring out of that text. I love this story. First of all, he knows where we are. We just read he saw her. And you know, when we go through stuff in life, and we all go through stuff in life, but sometimes we get that feeling he doesn't see me. He sees everybody else. He knows what's going on down the street. But where is he in my life? Am I talking to anybody that can relate? We've all been there, haven't we? There have been times where I've been like, Jesus, I know you're hanging out in the throne room, but could you just get down here? It is different down here. I need you here. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're looking like, I don't know what she's talking about because I've never felt that way. So that's the first thing I see in that passage. The second thing that um, resonates within my heart for many, many years, I love this story, is that he called her to him. Now, we just read she had been bent over 18 years. You would think... Jesus would go to her, but he called her to him. She had to go to him. You have to go to him. I have to go to him. He is our answer. And so this stuff, just sitting around, you know, well, I don't know what the Lord's going to do. 
Jesus wants us to go to him, cry out to him. He already knows everything anyway. Tell him what's going on in your heart, the things that are, are troubling you. Worship him, talk to him, bow before him, but be real and go to him. And you're in a safe place in this church, I can tell. People aren't judgy here. I feel it. There's liberty here in the spirit. Pastor Andy asked me to tell my story, but the, the, the beginning, we have to start with John 10.10. 10. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. This is known as the dividing line of scripture. The enemy is bad. He wants to steal our happiness and joy and strength. He wants to kill our marriages. He wants to destroy the dreams and visions we have inside of us. He, the enemy is bad. Our God, on the other hand, is a good God. And Jesus said, I'm, I've come that you can have life, and not just any old kind of life, an abundant life. And the word of God, every time we open this and read it, we're seeing and learning how that abundant life is supposed to come to pass in our lives each and every day. So my story, I know I don't look this old, but I was attacked um, with symptoms in my body in 1976. Um, at that time, I was 26 years old, teaching public school, um, thought everything was good. David and I, my husband and I were talking about uh, when we wanted to start our family, that life was good, sort of. But I wasn't passionate about Jesus. Not like I should have been. And it's shameful that it took this journey to get me down on my face before God. But praise God I got there, right? So... Symptoms started in my body. The main symptom was a lack of menstrual cycle. At first, David and I thought maybe I was with child, but they confirmed rather quickly that wasn't the case. And so I began a journey, and many of you have probably gone through something similar. It took a year of tests, a year of different doctors figuring out, and they'd eliminate this and eliminate that, but it took a year for them to figure out what was going on with me. Finally, I was diagnosed in June of 1977 with a brain tumor. Um, it was located at the base of the brain next to my pituitary gland. Uh, I was told that within 10 years, I would probably be paralyzed or go blind or both and even die. And I was also told that absolutely I would never have children. You have to understand, ever since I was a little girl, which was a very long time ago, <laughs> but um, even from first grade on, I knew I wanted to be a school teacher. And I wanted to work with children and have my own children. And so here I am teaching middle school, public school, taking care of everybody else's kids. But are you kidding me? I'm finding out I can't have my own. I was devastated. Um, I remember the diagnosis just knocked me for a loop. I was stunned. I, I mean, this stuff doesn't happen to young people, I thought. I went to my car from the doctor's appointment, kept my composure till I got to my car, and then I just sat there and cried. When I regained uh, enough composure, I drove myself home. David was on a fishing trip, and so I was home alone. And 
For the first time in my life, I seriously contemplated suicide. Um, I just, I didn't want David to have to deal with me um, sickly, and I I didn't want to go out like that, and, and maybe it would just be better for everybody if I ended it. And of course, we know that was a lie of the enemy, but I'm just being honest with you. That's how low I was. But there's this thing about my personality. I like everything neat and tidy. And I couldn't figure out a way to deal with it without messing up my house and making a mess. And so um, I dropped that strategy, waited for Davey to get home. When he got home, I told him what had happened. And he just held me and said, we're going to figure it out. And why don't we talk to our pastor in the morning? And um, so that's what we did. The next morning, um, we called. And it was an Assembly of God church there in Tulare, California. We called the office, and the pastor said he could see us within an hour. And we went in and met with him. I told him, what the diagnosis was. It was a very short meeting. Um, He listened with compassion. And he said, "Uh, Sonia, as I listen to you, I don't sense you're afraid to die. And I said, no, I'm not. I know I'm on my way to heaven. I have Jesus in my heart. Um, But he said, you're upset that you can't have children, according to the doctors. I said, that's exactly right. That's what broke my heart yesterday. And the pastor said, well, we are going to pray. And he took my hand and David's hand. He didn't shandala. He didn't get on his knees. It was no big moment, you know, where the clouds open and lightning came down. He just prayed a simple prayer and asked for healing in my body. And then he gave me one verse, James 4, 7, the pastor James wrote, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, when we uh, left the church, I told David, let's go celebrate. I've been prayed for. We've asked God for my healing. Let's go celebrate. And all the great things in my life happen around food. Can anybody relate? And so we went out to lunch. And I'll be honest, I had to choke down my food. I mean, I'm not saying it was instantaneous where I'm full of all this faith. But I knew enough to exercise my faith at least a little bit. Then after lunch, we went home. And I got out, this is shameful, but I'm just telling you straight up. I got out, we had a concordance, you know, one of the Strongs, one of those big babies, those big ones. We had one of those. Somebody had given to us a year or two before, but I didn't know how to use it. I'd never bothered to even learn how to use it. So I had to open to the front and read the table of contents and the description and learn how to use it. And so that afternoon, now this is 24 hours after I was diagnosed, I figured out how to use the concordance and I looked up every single verse in the entire Bible on healing But I didn't just look them up. I wrote them out in longhand. It took me all afternoon into the evening. Did you know the word healing or a derivative of the word healing is in the Bible 139 times? I know because I count it. That says to me that healing is something he wants for his kids. And of all those scriptures, the one that leaped out to me and it became my life verse is Matthew 9.22. And I'm going to be quoting King James because that's how I memorized it. But Jesus turned him about and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour on. Well, after I studied out the scriptures, I made a big chart about this big, and I posted it on my kitchen door. I wrote at the top, Sonia's Promises, and I hand wrote 
um, several of my um, healing scriptures. I put a sign in the medicine cabinet in our bathroom where I kept my toothbrush, and the sign simply said, thank you, Jesus, for healing me. Thank you that I am now a mother. <clears throat> I, um, within the next few weeks, I began to set up our nursery. Um, one evening, we had had some people over from our church for dinner, and I was in the kitchen making dinner, but it was a real, we had a really small house, like a 1,000 square feet, and um, anyway, I was at the edge of my kitchen getting out some uh, pots, and I could hear the couple. They had said they needed to use the restroom. They were down the hall. But I heard her saying to him, this must be caused by the brain tumor. <laughs> they have a nursery. They have no kids. And I heard the doctor said they're never going to have kids. And I heard her husband, yeah, it's bad. And you know, they didn't understand and I never brought it up or said anything to them. That wasn't my place. But I knew in my heart that it was important to step out in faith. I was learning how to believe his word and respond. I set my table for four people. I made up songs. I prayed. I prayed in English. I prayed in the spirit. I fought in the natural, and I fought in the spirit. I went to the doctors, and they sent me to other doctors. I never missed a doctor's appointment. I did everything I knew to do in the natural. I used earthly wisdom, but I also, all along, was doing the spiritual battle in the spirit. The Bible says it this way. We are called to fight the good fight of faith. There is a fight to our faith. And, and it, that doesn't mean it's weird. I know there's been some, you know, extreme teaching on this subject. But, and your pastor is very capable of, of dividing the word rightly for you. But I'm just saying that's not goofy to fight the fight of faith. That's what God wants us to do, to stand our ground. Remember the pastor gave me that scripture, resist the devil and he will flee. And I can't tell you the day or the hour it happened, but when you stay in the word like I did, month after month after month, it began to change me. At times I wanted to give up. I would say to David, you know, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of speaking the word. I'm tired of praying. I'm just tired. And David, being a believer as well, would look at me and say, Sonia, he couldn't pronounce my name. He called me Sonia. And he'd say, he was from Canada, so you know. <laughs> Go figure. Sonia, what does the word say? And then I would say, you know what the word says. We, my word, we got it all over the house and the signs. You know what the word says. I know, but I want to hear you say what the word says. I'm not saying it. Yes, you are. I'm not saying it again. Yes, you are. By his stripes, I am. Say it louder. By his stripes. Say it like you believe it. By his stripes, I am healed. Thank God for a spouse that believe God too. It is those of you that are married and have a believer for a spouse, you are blessed, you are blessed, you are blessed. Together as a team, you're dealing with the stuff in life. I'm watching the clock. I don't want to take too long. You know, and so the word began to change me. And this is one of the great things the Lord showed me. Hebrews 10, 35. Therefore... 
Cast not away your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, that you might receive the promise. First John 5 is very sim- similar. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Um, So confidence was building in my heart. In August of 77, the, um, did I do that? That's me. I am so I thought, who in the world back there is making all that noise? It's me. It's my hand down there. I gotcha. I'm sorry. Your mic is different than ours. We have it. goes all the way to the end. Those are nice. Am I up far enough? Okay. August. I go to the local neurologist. They've been tracking the tumor. And at that point, he said, the tumor has grown too large to leave. I'm setting you up with an appointment in, uh, at University of San Francisco with the head neurologist there. Uh, Dr. Wilson was his name. He has since retired. But Dr. Wilson, a little sideline, um, when pe- President Kennedy was shot, My neurologist, my neurosurgeon, is the one they were flying to Dallas to do the brain surgery. He was very, very good at what he did. He, uh, in fact, invented the procedure they did on me. And um, he looked like Jerry Lewis, (laughs) for what that's worth. But anyway, what's my point? God always takes care of us, and he gives us the best. That's the way God is. So appointment was set up. David and I drive to University of San Francisco. We worked it in. Hey, we'll have a couple days in San Francisco. We're sure when he, this neurosurgeon, sees the x-ray, he's going to say, you don't need surgery. You're good to go. But we're sitting there, and he flips on the chart. He shows us the tumor, and he says it's obvious that you need surgery. And so I want to set it a, a date for the surgery. And then David is saying, okay, when do you want her? And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? It's my brain we're talking about. Maybe I want to go home, think about it. Maybe I want to go home, pray about it. Maybe I want to just, uh-uh, about it. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, we set the appointment. I went home, made my um, my time there getting ready lesson plans because I was teaching Hebrews 10 23 he who promised is faithful I just kept clinging to his faithfulness during that time some friends of ours brought over my doorbell rang before we left for San Francisco And she had taken Psalm 91, handwritten the entire psalm, and put my name throughout. And uh, said, I I felt the Lord said, take this with you. And little did I know I would, in a few days, be so weak that I wouldn't even be able to lift my Bible. But I would have a piece of paper by my bed with one of the most powerful psalms in all the word. Um, When we checked in, University of San Francisco, I was on the neurology ward. They have an entire floor of just brain patients. And um, there was no fear in my heart. And this isn't the Sonia of before, but I'm just saying, when you put this in your heart, it strengthens you, it builds you, it changes you. And there was a men's retreat um, not too far away in Santa Cruz that we had heard about. So Dave got me checked in, and I said, you go to the retreat. You you know, it would be good for you, honey. It's been intense the last four months. And so David went to the retreat. Um, 
And there in the hospital, the first four days, they just did all these different um, tests on me, confirming the tumor. Um, I had an angiogram, several others. Um, this one particular one, at that time, I don't know if they still do it, they probably have something new, but the pneumoencephalogram, um, and the idea is they, um, go in and remove spinal fluid, and then they inject air into your spine. They strap you into a chair similar to like what an astronaut sits in, like NASA, some of the videos you've seen. And then they take that chair and they wiggle it back and forth and back and forth, and pretty soon you're almost totally upside down. And what they're doing is working that air that they have shot into your spine all the way up to the brain, and then it encases the tumor, so they have a really good picture of the tumor, the size, etc. One of the four days when they were doing all of these tests, I was sitting in a wheelchair. I was on IV waiting for my next test. And I, I looked to my right, and at the end of the hallway, I saw a gurney. And it was obvious there was a body on the gurney, but I saw there was a sheet totally covering the body. And so when I looked, I thought, good heavens, they need to remove that sheet. That person's going to have trouble breathing. And then it dawned on me, that person is gone. They're, they're getting ready to shove them down to the morgue. And as fast, as fast, as fast as can be up here, the enemy, that's how you're leaving this hospital. You're going to leave just like that person. They're going to roll you out on a gurney just like that. But faster than how the enemy can attack up here, up out of my spirit, man, I heard a thousand may fall at thy side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Our God is so good, and his word is true, it's true, it's true. There was such peace in my room that the team of doctors, when they'd come each day and make their rounds, um, they told me they left my room to the end. They said, we can't explain it. This is a really depressing floor and a lot of sadness, but your room is different. There's something in here that makes it different, and there's such peace around you. Um, but on October 3rd, the neurosurgeon came in. He met with David and I. He flipped on the um, little mini x-ray thingy and uh, showed us all the latest tests. And yes, the tumor is there. It's way too large to leave. Let me explain the surgery, and we're going to do it tomorrow. And so this is the procedure and by the way, it's been verified, I have a brain, so just want you to know. But what, what my neurosurgeon invented um, years before when ladies had had a tumor like I did, they would cut open the top of the head and go straight through the brain to the base and then remove the tumor. Well, you can imagine how much brain damage was done that way. Um, then a few years later, my surgeon came up with this idea, cut around the nose, lift it up, and, um, and then you're straight into the base of the brain. But then you have a scar all the way around your nose. And then he came up with the plan, which they still do today, I understand. Um, they took my upper lip right here. They pulled it up and then made the incision across. So my scar is under my lip. And then they pulled it up, bore a hole through my nasal passage, and it was a straight shot into um, the base of the brain. So on October 4th, they readied me. He had three other brain surgeries before mine, so now the day is passing. I'm waiting my turn. He comes in, says, I just finished my third one. I'm going to take a brief break. And I'm like, you know what? 
take a nap, whatever you need to do. I want you at your best. And so um, then they took me in. Um, there was a surgical nurse, and she comes with this green hat. Now, Sonia, we're going to put this hat, uh, put all your hair in the hat, you know, to make sure we have a sterile environment um, surgically. And I'm like, whoa, that is a really bad color on me. Do you have anything else? And she looks at me like, yep, she's in the right place. She needs brain surgery, all right. But then she caught it. I'm determining to have a merry heart. I'm determining to stay full of joy and peace. And she said, I like your style, honey. I will go find you a different hat. And she went and found me a different one. She came back. It was all floral. I don't normally do floral, but it was a happy floral. So we put it on, and I went in um, under the sedation. When I awakened four and a half hours later, that's how long the procedure took, I saw my David on one side, my brother on the other, and I said, tell me what my Jesus did. And just then I heard my brother, because, you know, I'm all swollen, and, and yes, it was not pretty sight. And my brother is passing out, so David runs gets my brother to a chair, you know, takes care of him. My brother was there for me, right? That was a lot of help. Um, and so then David comes back, and he goes, oh, Sonia. He said, Dr. Wilson comes out. He comes running out, finds me in the hall, and he says, Mr. Brown, you know we don't just do brain surgeries to do brain surgeries. You were in that meeting last night. You saw how large that tumor was. He said, I have no medical explanation, but we went in and there was an indentation where something had been there and a flaky substance, but there was no tumor. All I did was go in, look around, and come back out. And that is documented at University of San Francisco. But the word says, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I will heal you, says the Lord. He sent his word and healed us and delivered us from all destruction. I'm not just quoting words. I'm quoting life. You want abundant life? Here it is, right here. This word is full of life. A few days later, I think it was about six days later, I got to go home. My um, <clears throat> head was so swollen. Dave reclined the chair or the front seat back. And uh, we drove home from San Francisco from our house. It's about a, a four-and-a-half-hour drive. And when we pulled into our city, he said, how about a milkshake? I told you, food is important. And so um, we pull into a Foster's Freeze. He goes to get me a milkshake. And I'm, you know, leaning back. And I, now remember, I've been in the hospital like 10 days where you haven't even heard the birds singing, haven't had sunlight on your face. And I look out the window of the car, and I see a bird hopping on the parking lot. And I was just overcome with the joy of life. God had given me my life back. And I, right then, I just said, Lord, I will never live another day for Sonia. From now on, it's all about you. 
I will live for you. Every breath I take, everything I do, it's for you, God. Use me. Um, I began my recovery. I was very weak at first. Um, I couldn't even hold the blow dryer. David would blow dry my hair. Um, I was constantly draining. I mean, that's not cool for a woman. And then no feeling here. So it's like I've been, even now, like I've been to a dentist, like I don't really have feelings. So so I, snot could be running down my face. I didn't know. And so David, you know, he would clean me up when he was home, but he taught school too. So we had a system, like if we were out in a restaurant or something, he kicked me under the table. That meant there is snot on your face. Get a tissue. Um, and, you know, I mean, it wasn't a skate through the park is all I'm saying. But, but God was there every single day. And uh, people would come to visit me. And so, this didn't happen once or twice. But people would say, when I walked in your house, I felt the presence of God. I sensed the glory of God. Do you remember how Jesus, when he went into the wilderness, the spirit led him into the wilderness 40 days and the temptation. But right at the end, it says when it was over, the angels ministered to him. That's what I felt. I felt that doctor at University of San Francisco, what he sensed in my uh, um, hospital room was my angels ministering to me and what people were picking up on when they walked in my house during recovery were the angels that had come to minister psalm 113 9 he makes the barren woman keep house be a joyful mother of children my um, uh, healing was um verified october 4th 1977 fast forward it's 1978 on Mother's Day, Mother's Day, it's time to go to church, it's a Sunday evening, I go to use the restroom, and I had my first menstrual cycle start on Mother's Day, two and a half years after the first symptoms. I got so excited, I pulled up my pants, but I didn't even zip them. I ran down the hall to the living room, and Davy was there, and my uh, father-in-law, who was a very proper German gentleman, and a sister-in-law and her husband, they're all in the living room, and I run in, I started, I started, and I'm crying, and I'm laughing. And David it was grabbing me, and we're hugging, and, and Papa Brown said, nah, nah, Sonia. And then, but there was a twinkle in his eye. <laughs> Acts 10 says God shows no partiality. God is no respecter of persons. He delights in caring for his kids. What he did for me, he'll do for anyone. I absolutely believe that with all of my heart. We just sang earlier, he is a good, good God, and we can trust him. We are called, my friends, to live by faith. Look at Hebrews 3. I'm almost done. I'm hurrying. Beware, brethren unless there be in any of you an evil heart. Wow. Evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Before I go on, I got ahead of myself. We had two kids, and then we told the Lord, it's enough. We're good. We are good. But God gave me the babies that I wanted, all the babies that I wanted. Uh, when I had the surgery, they said, people that have brain tumors, you probably shouldn't ever have children. It could stir this whole thing up again. 
and you need to be monitored the rest of your life. That was for 41 years ago. I've never had another brain tumor. I had all the babies I wanted. When God does something, he does it right. Um, so getting back to Hebrews 3, verse 12, it says, unbelief is an evil heart. And then he gives us what to do. He says, exhort one another daily. In other words, speak words that build up. Don't say words that tear down. I'm in the middle of a series on words at my church right now. Uh, what we say, like Pastor said earlier, is so important. It's the antidote to unbelief. We exhort with our mouths. We use our mouths to encourage or discourage one another. You know, I I did a study, uh, this was several years ago, and I'm sure you've read this as well, but geese, how they fly in a V. So the, the guy at the front, he takes all the, you know, the, the weather and, and then the winds and different things happening. He gets banged a lot, and then he pulls in the back and someone else takes the lead. They take turns, but they have discovered flying in a V formation, they can fly maybe 60, 70% faster than just a bunch of birds flopping and, you know, hey, how you doing, George? I'm good. How are you? And they're just sort of working their way through the sky. But that's not what fascinated me when I studied about geese. What fascinated me is that they haunt for one another. And that honking, now I don't know how scientists do this, but they have determined that the honking is encouraging. That they're literally saying to one another, we're almost there, keep going. Yeah, come on, come on, Harvey. Come on, Betty, we got this. Just keep, just keep, just keep going. We are called, my brothers and sisters, to honk for one another. When's the last time you honked for your people in the sound booth? Thank you, guys. When's the last time you honked for your worship team? And they are amazing, let me tell you. You don't get that in every church. When's the last time you honked for your pastors and your um, pastoral staff? When's the last time you honked um, with your kids' uh, ministries, when you went to get your kids? Did you complain, well, where's Susie's little toy she brought with her today? Or did you say, hey, you just missed a whole service, thank you. Thank you very much. Honk, honk. We are called to honk for one another. I'm deciding whether or not to give this example. Um, I'm trying to hurry. Um, when do you usually stop? Right now? Okay, I'm going. I'm go I'm go I'm moving on. Unbelief is contagious and it's spread through negativity. It comes from a heart of unbelief and that's why it's evil. Cuz no matter what comes our way, our God is bigger and we should keep our eyes on him. Do you remember the story of the spies that went into the promised land? You know the story. The kids could even tell the story. How many spies did they send? Twelve. Did somebody say eight? Um, ten came back with a negative report. That's unbelief. Two came back with a positive report. That's faith. When we speak words of negativity, it's unbelief, and it's not going to bear fruit. And I've met people, I'm sure you have too, that think being negative is bringing balance. Well, those people are just way too positive. So I need to come and say this over here. No, we should all be positive. We can be positive even when we're helping one another through a very difficult time. Because our God, who is our example, he's never negative. Our God speaks truth all the time. You and I are not called to be negative. So if you've been sleeping, I want you to wake up right now because this is the most important part. You can't live on a testimony. I know that. But this is the most important part of what I came to say. Faith does not deny the facts. Faith 
states the truth. When I fought that tumor, I went to the doctors. I did everything I knew to do in the natural, but at the same time, I was speaking truth over my body. It's not that you don't see the mountain. You know, people are like, there's no mountain there, there's no mountain there, there's no mountain there. Yes, there's a mountain there. The Bible even talks about it. But we're going to see the mountain mover. Do you see the difference? Yes, there's a mountain, but I worship a mountain mover. Faith doesn't mean you don't see the problem. Faith means you see past the problem to the answer. And that's why everything I went through, going to doctors, all the tests, brain surgery, all of that, I faced it and went through it without fear because I was looking at Jesus. They can do whatever they want to try to help me, but my eyes are on my Lord, my healer. Faith is not denial. You know, there is no problem. There is no problem. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. You got snot running down your face. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I'm not. That's not faith. That's denial. So it's not that we deny that there's a problem, but the whole time we know in our knower there is an answer. We know what our God's going to do. Nothing is impossible without him. You know, when they went and spied out the land, it was full of giants. Do you realize some of those giants were relatives of Goliath? And some Bible scholars say he was over nine feet tall. And that's why the ten came back and they talked about the giants and said, we're like grasshoppers compared to them. We're little. And the two that came back with a positive report said, our God is bigger. We're well able. They are lunch for us. They are bread for us. They meant we can eat them. We're bigger because of our God. And when they conquered, they did so by faith. Now think about this. Nine foot tall people don't build houses with eight foot ceilings. They went in with elevated ceilings, probably 12-foot ceilings, king-size beds, flat-screen TVs that took up a lot of wall space. God wanted to bless his people, but he wanted them to begin to speak his word. So I'm encouraging you today, get help. If you're in a financial struggle right now, go see a financial person. Um, if, if, you're, if they're getting ready to repossess your kids, go to the bank, get help. I was teasing about the kids, okay? Um, but if they're getting ready, I've had people... Well, they're good. they say they're going to repossess my car, but it's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. No, it's going to happen. Go deal with it. We don't get in denial. Get help. If, if, it's, if, if you're being attacked in your body, then go see a doctor. Get the test done. That doesn't mean you're not in faith. Get the help you need. If your marriage is in trouble, see your pastors or see a marriage counselor. Get help and deal with the problem. But all the while, your eyes are on Jesus. You know he will get you through whatever you're going through. He wants to bless us. He wants to heal us. He wants to help us. Only believe all things are possible. 1 John 4, 4, last verse. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, who's them? Well, in the Amplified, I don't know if I... Oh, yeah, I did tell you. Okay, in the Amplified, it defines it. Overcome them, the agents of the Antichrist. He who's in you is greater than Satan who's in the world. I have a vivid imagination. And years ago, when I found that in the Amplified Bible, I started picturing demons... 
And you know, they're just little twerps. But I saw them and they were all running around. They had on trench coats and they had on sunglasses and they had their collar up and they had a fedora going on and they're running around. But I said, Lord, I don't see their feet. And he said, that's because, Sonia, they have been defeated. That's our God. That's our God. That's all I got. Are you going to do a musical number for it? <laughs> Listen, I know some of you came specifically today because you're facing something physically. And, and you, have, you thought you stood in faith for years, and the Lord has said to you, it's, stand again. Stand again. Confess again. Fight the good fight of the faith. Will you be a man or a woman of faith? who will put all of your hope in God again? Will you start to be the two that just makes the better confession? The, 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 the swirl of negativity that you've been walking through and you just allow to flow it so freely off of your mouth. Would you be a man or a woman of faith who takes captive every thought and makes it obedient to Christ? Will you be that kind of a person? I'm going to pray over us. But I'm all, and then I'm going to dismiss us all. I'm going to go eat some potatoes. But I'm also going to have a team of folks come up here that want to pray with you, that want to stand in faith with you and for you and encourage you and love you. And so when I, I'm going to pray, and when I say amen, I will, I will dismiss. You can all go down and eat potatoes. We have enough for everybody, probably more than enough. But if you want to stand and you want, to, you want, you want some prayer, we're going to stick around here as long as you want us to. And so, would you stand with me, please? Father, we confess with our mouths and our hearts that you are God. You are God. You are the mountain moving, the, the extremely wonderful, above all that we could ask and think, God of abundant life. And Father, we just confess that with our hearts. I pray right now for those that came here today having already given up their walk of faith. They believe in you. They know they're going to heaven, but they've stopped believing in faith and making the good confession. And Father, I just pray by the Holy Spirit, fill them again with a boldness. Fill them again with the joy of their salvation. Lord, the joy that was, has been stolen from them for years. Father, fill them with your Holy Spirit. I pray for anybody who came here today and they've, they've never put their faith in you. Father, right now that their heart would cry out, Jesus, I need you. And they would be wonderfully saved. We thank you that you are the God who is so excited. Your word says that you rejoice over us. <laughs> May we stop hiding from you. May you turn your face toward us and be gracious. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we confirm and we step out to be men and women and children of faith. Thank you for your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you would like to partner with our ministry, please visit us at welcomenewlifeassembly.org.